It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 2nd, 2012. We appreciate you for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you as always on Thursday night. We look forward to the Virtual Bible Study. Get together to study the Scriptures over the Internet. And we are glad that you're with us tonight as we do look to the Scriptures for instruction in our lives. We look forward to your participation tonight. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And if you're listening to us live on the program tonight, the chat window is to the right of uh, the video window. And it's very simple to sign in there. So join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight. Well, we've got a interesting program planned for tonight. You know, a very... Uh, very, uh, well, it's not necessarily timely. It's always timely, but it's a, it's a good one. I think it's very important. One important, that, that's it. That actually we haven't really ever touched on in all the various virtual Bible studies we've done. Uh, uh, what are we doing now? Six and a half years? All right. Yeah, we're going, we're going on seven. Yeah. And so uh, it's kind of surprising that we haven't got this, but it was actually suggested to us by one of our regular listeners. Uh, he didn't say that I could identify him, so I won't. But he sent in this email. We're just going to break down. I thought his email fit into about three or four very appropriate questions, and it has to do with parenting an older child, parenting a teenager, for instance. He says, and I'm going to make this question one. Okay. Uh, by the way, I sent this out earlier to our update list, as we always do on Thursday about midday. And if you're not getting that update, uh, please uh, uh, send us an email and say, add me to your list, and we'll do it. Send that to questions at collegeview.com. But here's what we sent out earlier. This listener says, A topic I would like to discuss is how our teenagers should conduct themselves when they're on a date or in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make that question number one. How should teenagers conduct themselves when they're on a date or relationship? And then he goes on. This will be question two. What behavior would be considered as crossing the line in inappropriate behavior? Is hand-holding, kissing, having arms around each other, and so forth? Not to be crude, but I feel that the line is reached far before physical relations occur. That's the way he worded it. We'll okay. talk about that. Okay. So we're going to make that question, too. All right. Uh, in other words, in regards to touching, hugging, kissing, what crosses the line? What is too much? Yes. Uh, then he goes on and says, uh, as a parent, how should we approach this subject with our kids? What are some of the questions or objections they may present? Mm. So when, you, when you're talking to you, he wants to know, as a parent, what would be the best way to discuss these matters with a teenager. Okay. And then finally, as a parent, how should we deal with our children if they start walking disorderly, whether it be with alcohol, sex, and so forth? What are effective disciplinary measures we can take with older children? What should we do if they become out of control but still too young to be on their own? Okay. I think that's a pretty powerful well, that's question a, that's right a, there. That's a loaded one right there. So I think all of those are important 
things to discuss. As I said, I don't think we've really ever talked about it, uh, at least certainly not at length. And I believe there's plenty there for us to, to delve into. All right. And uh, Chris, uh, we have the listener adds, as a father of children of dating age, I know the pressures they face, and I really do pray their decisions will be within God's will. And I'm extremely fortunate uh, that his children are trying to do the right thing. But he says they are pressured from all sides. And so uh, we appreciate uh, our listener. For there is, there's a time. tremendous amount of pressure on young people. Uh, they're, they're battling all kind of temptation and trial. And, of course, it's not made any easier by virtue of the fact that the media is just full of sexual content. And if we understand anything from the statistics at all, most of their peers are heavily involved in illicit sexual activity. And so it's going to, it's, it puts a real trial upon a young person trying to live a godly life in the present day. And they need some help. So I think it's worth discussing. All right. The number to call, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And behind the controls tonight, Monty is here. Monty, you're a, you're a veteran of uh, teenage parents. Monty, you're a dad. You, you've got yeah. insights into this. We want your input all the way along here tonight. Well, I'll do what I can as far as that goes. I, I hope my children have turned out well. I, as far as I know, I think they, they're they doing well in their lives right now. But raising them wasn't without its challenges. And I think those dating years are especially difficult years with the, you know, they're feeling they're uh, thinking that they're far and away more mature and able to make their own decisions than they really are. And they don't really understand the the challenges that go through there or the dangers even associated with that. So we, as parents, we really have to give them a lot of guidance and figure out how to do that a- in any a way that parent, they'll listen. Any parent, Monty, wouldn't you agree, any parent who said, oh, when my kids were growing up, we never had any issues at all, no worries, no problems, I would say either that guy is not telling the truth or he's so completely out of touch he didn't recognize the problems when they whizzed by him. Uh, I would say that person, if he could honestly say that, like you said, he, he was so out of touch, he, he couldn't have been much of a parent if he didn't have any challenges with his children in their teenage years. Exactly right. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, your insight, Monty. We look forward to our listeners' insight. And uh, if you have uh, tips or suggestions for how we can deal with uh, the general subject of raising children or the specific one tonight about teenagers and how to... Uh, deal with them and their their pressures. Let us know your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you. Okay, we're going to start out with the first part of the question. How should our teenagers conduct themselves when they're on a date or in mm-hmm. a relationship? Mm-hmm. Jacob, I think that a, a suitable starting place is to make a point toward the parents. Before we even start talking about what the teenagers should do, let's talk about what the parents should do. Okay. And And I believe that it's very important for the parents to recognize that they need to be in charge. I know, I've known of too many instances where parents just sort of threw up their hands as though there was nothing that they could do, and they pretty much just let their kids have free reign. As long, I, I always believed, and I think it's a scriptural concept, Monty, you might throw in on this, as long as children are living in my house and putting their feet under my table, they're going to live by my rules. And if, if they think that they're big enough and old enough and wise enough to do it on their own, then they'll just have to try that on their own. But I'm not going to sign off and and enable them to live uh, in a sinful way while I'm paying the bills. That's just not going to happen. So I think parents need to accept it is my job to enforce certain rules while my children are still living under my roof. Monty? Well, you know, 
a lot of times people, you hear that phrase, it's my way or the highway, but at my house, ultimately, that's how it has to be. I mean, we don't have to be that crass or hard about it, technically, I guess you, you would say. But like you say, if, if a lot of people, they'll say, well, my child's 18, I guess they can do what they want to. Well, if they're living at my house, they're going to play by my rules, and that's really just the way it's going to well, be if, at my if, house, win, lose, or draw. If you've got an 18-year-old who's doing immoral things, and they're living in your and you're living in your house, you're paying the bills, you're feeding them, you're keeping them clothed and sheltered. Then I'm enabling. You're them. enabling. I, them. I'm helping them to do that, whether I want to admit it or not. Yeah. And but I'd have to, if I'm going to be honest with myself, I have to realize that if they're doing that while they're living at my house, then I am helping and enabling them to do that, and in effect participating with them to that extent. I think you're right. And I've known parents of children as young as 12 years old who who've sort of just given up and said i can't do anything with them they're gonna they just they just won't do what i say i can tell you that's a bad situation i believe parents who allow that to be so are going to be held accountable for that because they are obligated ephesians 6 verse 4 says they're obligated to be bringing up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the lord and they're not doing it they're they're abdicating their role now i tell you the other side of that coin is that when parents take on that god-given role and let it be known i'm in charge here I set the rules. Uh, we'll try to be reasonable about our rules. We'll work together to understand uh, one another. In other words, we're not suggesting a dictatorial parenthood. But actually, for a teenager, there is comfort in knowing that their parent is in charge. My dad says, I can't do that. Uh, and so they have a fallback. It makes it easier for them. When they're tempted or when someone is challenging them on moral issues, they can just say, my parents don't let me do that. I can't. My dad won't let me. And and that actually gives them a a, a support base that they that they can draw strength from the fact that my parents are back there behind me and they won't let me go there. Okay. Good. You know, when they're at the point in their life that they're really not uh, mature enough or emotionally or whatever strong enough to stand up on their own and say, no, this is wrong, I'm not going to do it, even though they know it's wrong, but when they don't have that strength to do that, their self, they can fall back on their parents, like you say, and say, well, if I can't do that. My parents won't allow it. Or if Daddy finds out, he'll kill me. Or you know, or what, however they want to phrase that excuse. But it it does give them a, that comfort in knowing that I can use my parents for that excuse. And, and what what we want is that they'll that they'll mature enough to the point where they say, No, I won't do that. It's wrong, and I don't do that sort of thing on their own. But until they grow to I, right. that, they can use me for a fallback. exactly. Use me use me as your excuse if you need to, because in. In reality, that's the way it is. I won't let you do that. That's right. So uh, parents, make sure that it's understood, that everyone understands, and your children understand that you're in charge. Take on your role and do it. All right. Good comments. I'm enjoying the discussion, Monty. You might want to come and change chairs with me. And, uh, I'm doing okay over here. All right. 877-381-4567 is the number to call. If you have any thoughts that you'd like to add to the discussion tonight. So parents need to take charge. Passivity is not acceptable in a parent. Exactly right. Now, let's move to the teenage part, because the question was, how should our teens conduct themselves on a date? Well, having made the point that the parent's in charge, then the follow-up point to that is that teens should understand that they're obligated to be obedient to their parents. Yeah, preparing for your children for a date and and teenagers preparing for a date begins a long time before dating age even comes around. Yeah, there should be a, a, a system in place whereby the parents are respected and obeyed by the children. And as you say, Jacob, that should start at a very early age, and children should understand that they're expected to be obedient. And, and, and 
Okay, go, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say children also need to be instilled with the idea of accountability to, to themselves, to God, and to, to others as well. That's right. Uh, in the same passage that we referenced earlier in Ephesians chapter 6, where it obligates fathers uh, uh, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, verse 4, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And so children should understand, as you said, Jacob, an accountability to God for being obedient to their to their parents. And so if a parent says, your, cur- your curfew tonight is 10 o'clock, be home by 10 o'clock, then there's, that, that should be, that's the rule. And the child should understand that's what is necessary. It's not optional. A parent set a rule. I got to keep it. They told me what to do. I've got to obey them. So children should be taught that that is their role to be obedient. Money. How about enforcing those rules? Well, I, I think the parents need to very, be very clear in the definition of what their curfew is. I mean, I told I, I told our children that be home at ten o'clock doesn't mean uh, at the end of the driveway, way down there, and starting up the driveway. That means be in the house, the door closed and locked, and all the outside business that you might have to do taken care of already. The curfew time was the time to be in the house. So, I mean, it, it needs to be very clearly defined. And I think it should be, you should make an effort to be, I think, probably fair about it to some extent as far as, well, we live way out in the country, so if our children were over here at Columbia doing something with the other children from church, then it took an hour to get home. So, I mean, we tried to make it where they would have a reasonable amount of time with the people here, but at the same time, there's a time that people need to be home and being out incredibly late, uh, typically speaking, good people aren't out at 12 or 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. That's not, when not much good happens at midnight on a Friday night. No. There's, and, uh, I mean, we got to be realistic about that. So okay. uh, that should be taken into consideration when the parents make the rules and the children ought to be have the sense to realize that parents are setting those rules in their best interest. Now, again, I, 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 what I fear here is that we may come across as sounding like very harsh totalitarians. And, and I don't mean it to be that way, but I actually... Uh, I, I think that we need to move more in that direction because the the tendency of parents in the modern age is to be completely lax and lenient uh, and have almost no rules at all. And we got a bunch of kids that are uh, raising themselves effectively, and they're not being taught what's right from what's wrong. All right. We're going to take a break, and then when we get back, we'll continue the discussion about appropriate behavior on dates, and we look forward to your participation in uh, that discussion as well. If you have uh, raised uh, children, and uh, maybe you uh, maybe you didn't do everything right, and you want to comment about that, or maybe you have suggestions that you could share with others, so things that worked for you, we'd like to hear those thoughts, and uh, we'd like to hear your thoughts, even if maybe you're a teen listening tonight, and you have some opinions about correct and appropriate dating behavior. We'd lo- love to hear from you as well. Give us a call, send us an email, join in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. 
Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Remember, however good or bad your situation is right now, it will change. It takes a great man to give sound advice tactfully, but a greater to accept it graciously. Man, I wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We welcome you back to the program. You weren't very quotey tonight. No, I didn't have a lot of quotes today. No, I like those quotes. Those are good. All right. Look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567. Come to the head of the class and share your comments with us on the phone tonight. Jacob, as we're talking about how kids should conduct themselves when they're on a date, uh, we're just setting some preliminaries here, but I would suggest that young people need to determine ahead of time what they're looking for in a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Mm. Uh, to, to, to be wise enough, even at the start of the dating age time, to, to realize that dating is for a purpose. It's mm-hmm. to meet the right person who might be a lifetime mate. Yes. And so uh, what, what are you looking for? Think about that ahead of time. You know, uh, we, we always commend Joshua in Joshua 24, verse 15, right. where he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we commend Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 when it says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Uh, and so make up your mind. And and with that in in mind, then there are some people that you're just not going to date because right. because there's no reason to date them because they're not the kind of person you're looking for who would serve to be a suitable marriage partner anyway. Just don't date them. Be selective. Be selective from the get go. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I told my kids when they were pretty early on, and my son Joshua seemed to do it pretty well for the most part, was uh, don't date some don't go out with somebody over two times that you wouldn't seriously consider to be a marriage partner. Because realistically, if you're open-minded about it, probably in going out with someone two times, you could probably find something about them if they're not going to be suitable that that you can recognize that. Because the problem, if you go out with them much longer than that, you fool around and decide you're madly in love with them, then it's hard to dump them (laughs) when you find out that they're really not the kind of person you need to be with. So I I mean, I think that's a good rule that young people can go by is go out with them once or twice if you think – that they're an okay person, and by that amount of time, you can figure you can it out tell. pretty quick. And if they're not, then don't go out with them anymore. And, and never forget the principle of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil companions corrupt good morals. you around bad people, you will end up being influenced by them to do bad things. Be smart enough, young people, in the as you're even thinking about dating and who you might date, to realize that there are just some people that are just off limits. You wouldn't even consider it. Don't go out with those people. And parents can help with that uh, as well. A lot of parents are pushing their children to, to, to be very active in their dating. Well, and I, I, since you brought that up, Jacob, I think a lot of parents are pushing their children way too early right. to be interested in dating and uh, finding a, a person of the opposite sex and so forth. Right. Our society is doing that. Right. I mean, even in our community here, I, I see signs at the junior high and even grade schools where they're announcing dances for fourth and fifth graders and junior high students. So just on a very practical level, you get those fires of passion kindled early, mm. way before they can be legitimately met in marriage, and you're just asking for it as a parent. So parents need to have the good sense not to be rushing their children into that sort of thing. All right. 
Uh, and then, real quickly, one other thing I would add: uh, How should our young people conduct themselves on a on a date or when they're dating? Uh, if if our young people are spiritually inclined, and we hope that they are, then they ought to be looking for a relationship that has a spiritual component to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and so then they should think about doing things like uh, going to church together or having a Bible study together. Uh, they should be that kind of person who wouldn't be ashamed to share their faith with another. I'm not. I'm not of the inclination to say that a Christian should only date a Christian. I think there's certainly merit in that position. But I. If a Christian's going to marry a person who's, excuse me, if a Christian's going to date a person who's not a Christian, then they ought to be very perceptive as to whether or not that person is open to spiritual things. Right. And what better could you do than go to church together or study the Bible together, talk about spiritual things together, discuss moral principles and so forth? Uh, I, I think that a that a, a a young person who is a Christian should make that a part of their dating scheme. I'm going to talk about these things. I want to see how that person reacts when I bring up God, when I talk about religion. I want to see what kind of... Because that would be the most important thing to determine from a person anyway. What is If they're not a Christian already, what is their inclination? Are they opposed to to serving the Lord? Are they against religion altogether? Uh, exactly. You'd want to know that. It's got to be the found. It's, you want it to be the foundation of your marriage. You ought to. You ought to talk about it uh, while you're dating. Mom. Exactly. You know, if a person's got that attitude that they're opposed to religion, they're against it, or they just absolutely don't want to have nothing to do with it. If you marry that person, if you're a Christian and marry that kind of person, you're not just asking for troubles and conflicts in your life and your relationship with your spouse. You're just begging and pleading to have extra troubles. I mean, a, a good marriage is difficult at times. No matter Even when both are, are Christians. I mean, when both are Christians and trying to do the best they can, there's going to be challenges from time to time. But if you've got someone who you're, you're not sharing that interest with, it's just not going to be a good relationship, I don't believe. Yeah. In the, in the chat room, guest Lane says, Society is definitely influencing young Christians. It's more and more necessary for parents to be strong and devout in their Christian modeling. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Anthony adds, I think the child's upbringing will determine a lot about whether the child even cares whether their boyfriend or girlfriend is interested in God. I think you're right, Anthony. I, if if you had a young person and it didn't matter to them that the guy that they were dating or the girl that they were dating just was absolutely not interested in spiritual things at all, that would say a lot about the young person and probably indict the upbringing of that young person yeah. that they were at that age in life and it didn't matter to them. All right. Good comments tonight. All right. So we uh, hopefully we've just laid some groundwork um, there. The first part of our question was how should our young people be acting, conducting themselves when they date? But the real heart of this matters, the next part of that question, what behavior would be considered as crossing the line into inappropriate behavior? Before you get to that, I, I read an article this week by Bill Hall on, yeah, on the subject. No. Have you read Bill Hall's subject, uh, the, the Two Girls Want to Date Jerry? No, no, no. It's a good article. Let, let me read it quickly. short. Jerry is a bright young man with a great future. He's a Christian, genuinely dedicated to pleasing the Lord and preparing for heaven. Two girls recognize these great qualities and want to date Jerry, but their approach is considerably different. The first girl tries to attack Jerry by worldly means. She relies on her physical beauty and up-to-date wardrobe. She turns on her charm anytime he's around and is quite forward in his presence. She owns her own car and seeks to use that cherished commodity to the greatest advantage possible. 
She's a member of the church and attends regularly, but material values obviously outweigh spiritual values in her life. She has some good qualities, but she is placing so much emphasis on outward appearance that it is difficult for one to penetrate the veneer to see her real character. The second girl makes no obvious effort to attract Jerry at all, for her meek and quiet spirit could never allow her to be forward or flirtatious. In her effort to please God, she seeks to develop spiritual qualities in her life, and she would like to think that these spiritual qualities would make her attractive to a spiritual young man. Because she is Christ-like, she is warm, friendly, sympathetic, concerned, the kind of person one can feel close to, and she manifests these qualities in Jerry's presence as she does toward all of her acquaintances. She does not possess the physical beauty of the first girl, but she is neat and wholesome in appearance and possesses a beauty from within, which is very precious in the sight of God, First Peter 3, verse 4. Which girl is Jerry most likely to date? We're not sure. We have seen good boys who, flattered by the attention of flirtatious girls, have made poor choices, and Jerry could have made that mistake. But knowing Jerry, we are quite sure that he will distinguish the girl who will make a great date from the one who will make a great wife and will choose the latter. Two vital questions remain to be asked. Girls, which one of the two girls depicts you, correctly depicts you? And boys, uh, which would you choose for a date? Young people who love the Lord choose mates that will help them go to heaven. Very good. Yeah. Of course, Bill Hall's a great writer, and he has great uh, wisdom, uh, and that comes through in that article. Um, in the chat room, along those same lines as to who would you date, who would you consider to date, who would be just not even within the realm of possibilities to date, guest Lane in the chat room says, how exactly can we be involved in a relationship with, quote, foreign women? What was the point of God forbidding marriage with foreign women who worshipped foreign gods? Of course, he's talking about in Old Testament times. We today as Christians absolutely must be careful not to get into a relationship with those who have not given their lives to Christ as well. All right. Well, that's true. I mean, the the same warning for foreign women could be true for women today. I, I would just, and I, I tried to state this earlier. I, I would just say I don't think it's necessarily wrong for a Christian to date of someone who's not a Christian temporarily, but the the main thing that that Christian should be looking for is this person got a tender heart for God's truth, and will they yield to God's plan for their life? If they see that that's possible, then this, this can go further. If they see pretty quickly that they're not that that person's not interested at all, they ought to run, not walk away from that situation. All right, uh, Anthony uh, says we're not of the we're under the New Testament law, which would, certainly does not require Christian mates. And then Lane re- responds, "True. However, one might think we have to make a necessary inference when reference is made to women. It is generally only made to the girls or women in the church. It seems that the Christian ought as uh, ought to as." was just said, choose d- uh, dates that will help lead them to heaven. Yeah, I, I think that that's wisdom, but I would have to agree with Anthony. I don't think that there's a mandate in the New Testament. There's not a mandate, but we could learn from Solomon as well. And if Solomon oh, yeah. couldn't handle it, likely you won't be able to either. Yeah, I remember a number of years ago, and if the young fellow is listening that I told this to, uh, he was very near to marrying a woman who had no interest in spiritual things at all. He was a very godly individual and still is to this day. But he was thinking about marrying a, a, a woman who had no interest in those same moral principles that he lived by. And I remember asking him, I said, you think you're smarter than Solomon? You think you're wiser than he was? Look what happened to him when he married wives that didn't share his moral values. And uh, that that opened his eyes, and he, he decided not to pursue that. Money? You know what? A lot of times, like like you're saying, Greg, it's not that it would be wrong to marry a person that's a non-Christian, but we have to look at it or to date that person. 
But we have to look at, is it good judgment? Is this something? Is this person going to build us up or is they going to drag us down? And we just need to be careful about using good judgment in these matters. I think you're exactly right. All right. All right. So let's get to this next point, Jacob. This is this is this is a tough one, and it's, mm-hmm. it's tough for young people. And it's tough for parents as they try to to help their young people get through this very uh, dangerous point of life in this dating time. Our our questioner asked, what behavior would be considered as crossing the line into inappropriate behavior? Mm. Uh, is it hand holding? Is it kissing? Having arms around each other and so forth? Not to be crude, but I feel that the line is reached far before physical relations occur. And I, I take him to mean there that he's saying long before sexual intercourse occurs, uh, sinful things can happen. And I, I think I would agree. So what are the limits? Uh, what can we say about that? We've got a couple of emails that address that. Uh, Chris in Georgia writes, The Bible warns us to flee and guard against sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Verses 13 through 20 teach us that our bodies are part of the body of Christ, so we need to pay special attention to how we treat this physical and spiritual body. Sexual immorality covers much more than the act of sex, and any act that would cause someone to lust or even desire to commit sexually immoral acts should be avoided. Hand-holding could be fine as long as it's not causing these issues above. Other acts, even though it may fall short of physical union, can easily lead to sinful desires of the heart and actions. The Bible warns us to guard our hearts and minds and to flee temptation. We must be diligent to keep ourselves out of any situation that may lead to temptation. An oversimplified example may be watching television together on a sofa, alone, and in the dark. Uh, We also need to guard our example before others. It's all too easy to get a bad reputation even when you've not done anything to deserve it. Yeah. So I think he's got good points. All right. And in the society we live in today, no one's going to cut you any slack because it is so prominent. Uh, Troy says, uh, what, line, what behavior crosses the line into inappropriate behavior? It is a great subject to discuss and one that I feel Christians need to give more serious thought. I agree with the questioner that it is crossed far before intercourse, what I assume he means by physical relations. While I'm not saying that any type of physical contact is wrong, I believe we should learn something from the male commercials. They all talk about how just a touch can lead to much more. Anyone with a normal sex drive would have to admit this is true. As other Christ, another Christian said to me once regarding this subject, many women don't realize this. Uh, maybe women don't realize this. Maybe women don't realize this. He thinks they do. Uh, I th- and maybe some men will deny it, but holding the soft hand of a woman you are fond of is sexually arousing. In regards to kissing, there are a few occasions in Scripture where a kiss between members of the opposite sex seems to be okay. Consider Genesis 29, verse 11, where Jacob kissed Rachel the first time he met her. My guess is that this was not a long and drawn-out passionate kiss. Other occasions seem to present a kiss as a dangerous thing. Consider how the first thing the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7 did was seize and kiss the young man lacking sense. Can anyone question it? Started the process between them. That led to his downfall. I'm not saying that holding hands and or kissing are wrong, but they can be dangerous if we're going to do as Jesus said and pray and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil, Matthew 6:13. then we shouldn't lead ourselves into temptation and evil. Flee youthful lust, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, and, other, and older lust as well. Troy makes some excellent comments there. Appreciate yeah. the way you put that. Yeah, very good. We're up to break time, Jacob. We want to talk a little bit more. Let's, let's, when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about what crosses the line, what is too okay. much uh, in regards to physical contact between people who are dating. But right. When we come back from the break, we'll get into that. We're looking more. for your help with that discussion as well. 877-381-4567. It's toll-free. The line is open. We're looking forward to your call on this subject. 
questions at collegeview.com, and uh, chime in in the chat room as well. We'll be back right after these messages. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. In a perfect world, we would agree with everyone about everything. Obviously, this is not a perfect world. Therefore, we are not surprised when people from various walks of life disagree on a whole host of subjects. Christians working together in a local church are not exempt from this reality. As God's Word is publicly taught, be it in a Bible class or in a sermon, there is the possibility that you might hear something that doesn't ring true with your understanding of the Scriptures. The question is not, will such disagreements happen? Rather, the question is, how will you react when it does happen? You have several options available, but not all of them are right and proper. For instance, you can just keep disagreements to yourself. But following this course will certainly not resolve the issue. Instead, it's likely to fester like an untreated sore, and sooner or later, usually sooner, it will lead to more serious problems that will be harder to settle. Another reaction to differences is to talk about them, but not directly to the one with whom you have the difference. What we're describing here is the sinful practice of gossip and slander. Yes, unfortunately, there are folks who will lend a willing ear to such words, but the outcome is that the problem is not fixed. In fact, it has been multiplied by additional evil deeds. The right and logically best approach is to openly discuss your concerns with the one who made the comments in question. When this is done, we often find that the potential conflict was only a misunderstanding. People, including Bible class teachers and preachers, often do a rather poor job of expressing themselves and leave wrong impressions. On the other hand, listeners can also fail to hear things exactly as they were stated. Simple misunderstandings can be quickly resolved if we go directly to the other person involved. In areas where true and legitimate disagreements persist, we must all be devoted to seeking unity through additional and careful study of His Word. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, parenting teenagers, specifically about dating on the program tonight. Uh, and during the break, the chat room has has been a buzz. Uh, Lane uh, says, uh, going along with this new point, I think that it is a key that young Christians need to realize that lust starts in the heart, friends. This was a teaching from Christ himself. He agrees with Troy. He couldn't agree more, he says, uh, uh, on what Troy said about holding hands and kissing. I truly appreciate brethren getting to the heart, not just the action. And certainly we do have to be careful of our heart. Anthony adds in, as far as crossing the line, the Bible doesn't give us an exact line. The operative word is lasciviousness, which is, quote, the unchaste handling of males and females. Different folks are going to draw different lines on this, but if we are honest, we realize the line is a lot more restrictive than we might think, and I agree. All right. So we want to talk about that. we got a caller on the line. Yeah, Mike from Orleans, Indiana is on the line. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, guys, how are you doing? We should say welcome back to the program, Mike. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, glad to thank have you, you again. Now, I've, got a, I've got a cardinal sin to confess. I, I was a little tied up tonight and uh, didn't get in as quick as I wanted, and, and so I've missed part of the program, so I apologize if I recover some, some old steps that you guys already covered. That's all right. You need a note from the doctor if you're going to be late. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try to get that, okay. that emailed to you. All right. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, has anybody brought up First Corinthians 7 1 yet? No, we were talking from 1 Corinthians 6 uh, there at the end of the chapter. Go ahead with 1 Corinthians 7. Well, 
First Corinthians seven one, although it doesn't directly apply, I think there's some applica- you know applicable thought in all this. Because you remember one of the problems that the, the Corinthians had was the the fellow. You know, there was some sexual morality in the church. There was a fellow who had his his father's wife, and he was having some in, in, improper relationship with her. And with regard to that, I think Paul looks back a little bit in First Corinthians seven one, and he's talking about some of the sexual sexual immorality that's taking place in the church. And he sets forth a, a principle that, you know, I hate to be so so restrictive here, but I, I think it's pretty good guideline to go by. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And so Paul seems to kind of indicate there that the sexual immorality uh, is kind of encouraged when we start the touching process. I never, I never had seen that point before. But uh, and now, obviously, there's a difference between a, a touch that has a sexual connotation to it, or, or some kind of a lustful generating. Con- I mean, if you shake a woman's hand when you come into church building on Sunday morning, that's touching, but that's not that doesn't have a sexual connotation to absolutely. it, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I. Well, you know, we I think we we don't need to define what an appropriate touch would be versus what an inappropriate touch would be. I think we can all all basically understand that something that's and and even some things that are in the gray area probably you know better off just be left alone. For example, you know maybe touching the small of a woman's back or something like that. You know that, that's just kind of getting into an area where it's. Well, starting to get into you know an uncertain area. So well, Second Timothy two twenty two says, "Flee also youthful lust." It says, "Run away from from the kind of things that generate lust." Don't see how close you can get. Run away from it. Flee from it. And so, uh, in, as you're suggesting, Mike, I think the thing that that young people should be encouraged to do is don't take any chances if it's even if it's even close to a dangerous kind of a situation. Where physical passions are being aroused, uh, then get away from that. Flee youthful lust, Paul told Timothy. All right. Right. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and there's another thing, too, that I think we've got to be careful. I've always tried to, you know, you can ask my kids, I, I probably overemphasized this a little bit with my kids. But there, there's something that I think they've got to understand, and, and there's a, a, a way of looking at this whole topic that we're talking about in a little different light. I think sometimes young people today, uh, they, they look at this like, well, you know, if we have sexual relations and, you know, if it doesn't work out, that was wrong, but, you know, as long as we don't create a baby, well, we just we just made a mistake and we'll move on, we'll ask God to forgive us, or, or however the mi- mindset might be. But the reason that this is, is so incredibly wrong, um, I think I'd go back again one more time to 1 Corinthians 7, where the, the relationship there is described, and, and Paul describes the marriage relationship as such that the the body of the wife belongs to the husband, and the body of the husband belongs to the wife. Now, how does that how does that relate to this young couple that we're talking about that aren't even married yet? Well, I'll tell you how it relates because what's taking place here if a young couple is having these inappropriate relationships with one another before they're married, they are stealing something 
that does not belong to them. Whether or not you're married right now at the current point really is irrelevant to the discussion. Because if, if you're having intercourse with someone that you're not married to yet, if you don't end up married to them, yeah, and there's no guarantee of that until you actually say, I do. And so if, if I'm a young man and I'm having sexual intercourse with a, a, a young lady who's not, not my wife and it doesn't end up working out, I have taken her virginity. And that was something that God says in First Corinthians 7, that body of hers belongs to... And, and even at that time, it belonged to her future husband. That wasn't mine to take. That was his. And, and so it, it really becomes an issue, I think, where we're taking something that doesn't belong to us. I think you're right. And there's also a little, a little way. I, I try to word this to my, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, in, uh, in a way that doesn't sound too creepy. But, <laughs> you, uh, it probably <laughs> sounds creepy. Your dad. Dads are creepy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I've tried to tell her, and, and she's been very good about this. You know, she's she's a good girl. But um, my daughter's body, because I'm entrusted with with taking care of her, my daughter's body in my mind, it also belongs to me. Because even in our custom in America, we have a custom where you know, ideally, the, the bride wears a white gown for a reason. And my gift to her future husband ought to be able to give him a daughter that is chaste. I'd be able to give him someone who is, you know, who is. Well, pure, yeah, and hopefully and he's the kind of violated. That that is mine to give, and it's not my daughter's to give away to anyone. Else. Well, hopefully she's dating a guy, you know, and going to marry a guy to whom that matters. You know, unfortunately, to a lot of young people these days, it seems like that doesn't matter to them anymore. That's a little hard for me to fathom, but it seems like that's becoming the societal trend. And yet, for a God-fearing person, obviously, it has to matter. Right, right. Good Monty, points, Monty, you've been quiet. Your thoughts? Well, I've you've been, been quiet. lost what I was going to oh, talk well, about. Oh, okay. but, but I agree with him. And, and as parents, we need to instill that idea into our children that... Uh, as we was talking about maybe holding hands, we need to be honest about it with ourselves. And it might be that for me to hold this woman's hand was, is going to promote lust in my heart. Well, if, I, if I'm honest with myself and recognize that, then I need to not do it. And I need to teach my children that same kind of thing, that anything that's leading you in that direction, you, you need to avoid it. Uh, I was talking to my daughter once when she was dating. I was talking to her about the kissing thing, you know, and when you kiss, and I talked to a Sunday school class about this one time, a high school class, to the young girls, when you kiss this boy in, in what's a passionate way, it might not mean as much to you as it does him, but when you kiss him and his eyes rolls back in the back of his head and he's overcome by raging hormones, it's very difficult and really unreasonable almost for you to expect him to control himself after that because you've done put him in almost a senseless state if you want to. Well, now, I would have to say he's still, he's still he's, obligated he's, to control oh, he's still himself. Obligated, but but he's allowed himself and she's allowed yeah. them to put them in a way to, instead of fleeing that useful lust, and they jumped flee. right in the middle while no, they right. have useful lust and put themselves in a position that it's very difficult to control. I think, you're right. I think you're right about that. Um, and I had a thought there while you were saying that, and I've, I've lost that. But I, the one thing that I think that we got to do as parents is we need to be more specific in giving our children I mean, and we've got we've got to be willing to be blunt uh, in the terminology we use and the kind of things that we discuss. the 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 worldly 
influences are very blunt. I mean, I mean, our kids are growing up in a culture where there's nothing that's not said. I mean, they, they'll talk about everything and anything. Their friends at school will talk about everything. They're going to see it on TV. They're going to be exposed to it in the media. And we have to be willing to talk. You know, the, statistically, I understand that a very, very low percentage of parents ever talk to their children about matters of sex. And as Christian parents, we can't be that way. We've got to be willing to discuss it. We've got to be open to it. Uh, it's the kind of thing that most parents just say, I'd just rather not deal with that. Well, sorry, you don't have that option. You've got to deal with it. And we've got to be wise enough as parents to, to help them understand what are some limitations. I think going back to a comment that Anthony made in the chat room, lasciviousness is the word. That's the operative word. And we've got to help them understand what lasciviousness is. No, uh, I noticed in Chris's email, he said... Their friends probably aren't using that word. That's right. Yeah. But, but, but Chris said uh, 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 there's nothing wrong with first, second, or third base as long as we do not go all the way. And I think that's what a lot of young people think. And, and some parents would let them believe that, that just don't get pregnant, just don't go all the way sexually. Uh, anything short of full-on sexual intercourse is okay. And it's not. It's the sin of lasciviousness. And I, I just don't think, I, I, I can confess that as a young person growing up, I wasn't given satisfactory advice in that matter. And I think as, as parents, we've got to be uh, willing to deal with it. it. It's one of those kind of things you just wish you didn't have to. But I think as parents, we've got to be willing to deal with it. All right. Uh, quickly, before we go to a break, Lane uh, sends in these comments. It is just hard for us young ones growing up because going back to society today, so many Christians are going, growing up greatly influenced by society. As it is as it is hard to admit, it is true. And it is so hard to see a brother or sister stumble or fall away due to dating and things along this topic. We need to, as young Christians, spend more time developing ourselves as servants to God and as opposed to maybe getting too caught up in dating. That's an interesting comment, and I like that uh, comment to focus on your relationship with God, maybe, than, than on dating. Mike, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, one real quick thing I'd, I'd say, you know, um, by the way, Lane is, is uh, my nephew. Oh. And we just got up. Uh, part of the reason why I was running late is I was on a Bible study Skype with him right before the program. So. Well, uh, I, <laughs> I, I appreciate his thoughts. And I guess Lane is a young, a young man uh, who is uh, very conscious of these dangers. Well, actually, there's a long story I could tell you about sometime, but uh, Lane was baptized about, I don't know, three or four years ago now, but uh, uh, the, the funny thing was is uh, I, we, we, I kind of got in trouble for baptizing Lane. His parents weren't too thrilled about that, so uh, he, he has some he has some challenges. He's not a doesn't have a lot of support from his family. Well, so it's in, even in more regard, it's but, even more uh, admirable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but anyway, uh, no, I, I, I would just, you know, maybe kind of even... Not to sound too much like a prude, but back to my first Corinthians 7 comment, even with regard, now, I, I, I wouldn't say like, you know, maybe maybe some hand-holding, as long as, uh, I think one of the comments that was made already, as long as the, the man is going to be honest enough about when, in his own mind, when he's starting to lose control, when he's starting to, you know, cause that to think impro- improperly, you know, he's got to be kind of a, you know, he's got to... Uh, take control of himself in that way, but and not to be too much of a prude, but, you know, it, it's sort of, I, I want to ask kind of a, a, I don't know, a question maybe a little bit inappropriate, but just to get our minds 
thinking a little bit. You know, I'm sure if I ask Greg, would it be okay if I kissed his wife? Well, you know, obviously Greg is going to say no. You know, that, that, that would not be okay with me. And the same would be true with me. Well, if that's the case, again, I, I still stand on the argument that even though it may be precursory, you know, we're looking to the future, if that's the right word, someday this young woman is going to be someone's husband. And so even to go so far as to, you know, start doing these, you know, these kissing and, and uh, you know, that leads to maybe groping or something like that, that those things are still happening with someone's future husband or someone's future wife. I don't think that's appropriate for people who aren't married. Okay. And that's... And, and I think we got to be. That's not the societally accepted norm these days. But I think we've got to be open to saying we need to be a lot more restrictive than what society is. Right, right. Uh, well, and, and Greg, I couldn't agree with your comments more that you made earlier. And I hope every parent that's listening out there, I have always tried to be very open. I think the best thing we can do is to be absolutely blunt. We don't, you know, I don't beat around the bush with my kids when we talk about sex. I mean, not not to be inappropriate, but we we talk about it in as much detail. And as you know, I don't beat around the bush when they know what I mean. They know what I mean. I think you know, and so I think when, that's when, important. When we draw the line, it's clearly drawn so that there's no question about how far this should or shouldn't go. All right, Mike. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate your insights. Okay. Thanks a lot. Appreciate thanks. it, Mike. Uh, yeah, All right. take care, guys. Good to hear from you tonight. Look forward to hearing from you as well, 877-381-4567. We've got a big question to answer here at number three tonight, and we've got a break, and we've got, we're running out of time. You want to you want to just skip it, or you want to what do you want to do? Uh, let's get our break, and then we'll, we'll rush to the end. Okay, we're going to get a break, and then we'll talk about how to deal with children who may be starting to walk disorderly. Maybe they're failing and uh, standing for what is right. We'll take those uh, comments on the other side of the break. We'll be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A poll of over 2,000 adults found that 59% of Americans are absolutely certain and 15% are somewhat certain that there is a God. 
Those over the age of 40 in the South or who are female are most likely to be absolutely certain compared to 25 to 29-year-olds, those who live in the East, and males who are less certain. 13% of Americans believe there is no God, with 7% saying they are absolutely certain there is no God. Those stats are via the Harris Interactive Poll. The Word of God says in Psalms 46 verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We welcome you back to the program tonight as we talk about uh, parenting teenagers and talking about the dating relationship. We're in the speed round now. Yeah, real quick, we're trying to talk about things that we could help our young people sort of rules, how to conduct yourself, what's off limits, and so forth. I found a, uh, Alan McNabb is a preacher uh, in Georgia, and he had some good suggestions. I want to throw these out. Be careful about what you wear. Girls like to be looked mm-hmm. at. Boys like to look. Don't make it harder than it already is. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, take Jesus on every date. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on the date expecting the end of time, Jesus, to come back before the date is over. Oh, yeah. uh, don't be home alone. Don't, or he says, do do things in groups. Don't go to secluded places. Don't go places where other people are participating in sinful activities. Don't dance. Mm. And then he talks about some of the evil influences of dancing. Uh, of course, the, we've got to certainly, ultimately, avoid fornication. Flee from it. Uh, fornication is, by definition, illicit sexual contact. Uh, it, it is... Uh, Intercourse, uh, there you can commit fornication without committing sexual intercourse, mm-hmm. but it involves illicit sexual contact. So there would be sexual touching. Uh, some kinds of petting would be included as fornication if it involved touching certain parts mm-hmm. of the body mm-hmm. and so forth. Lasciviousness is the the uh, uh, unchaste handling of males and females. Right. Thayer says so. Uh, all of those things and. As a Christian, if you're dating, let your moral positions be known. Uh, don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. All right. Good comments there. And Lane is in the chat room again. He says, I think that today Christians growing up can lose motivation for standing on the truth. Reason being, it may seem so easy to give in because being righteous and standing for God won't, will get you in trouble. You won't be cool. These are things running through the minds of young people today, sadly. And I'm afraid the main reason is due to lack of motivating encouragement whether it be at the house, the church, or with personal relationships. I know for a fact young people are so much stronger and more active when young people are encouraged with motivation continually with great love and enthusiasm. So we appreciate uh, Lane uh, for those comments. Uh, from our friend Chris in Georgia, uh, talk, he says, talking to your children about these things, what do you do when your, your teenager says, my friends and my boyfriend or girlfriend will think I'm weird, will not want to be around me? Mm-hmm. Uh, he says... To this, we must explain the importance of setting a good example. And if your friends or boyfriend or girlfriend is unable to respect your beliefs and boundaries, then they're not really your friend. I think this might be the most difficult concept for teens to accept. They are hammered on with so much peer pressure from school, television, music, and so forth. And Mike in the chat room asks the question, what do you guys think about chaperone dating? Monty, did you ever do that with your kids? Um... Did you ever want to? Yeah, that's what I would say. I don't think it's a bad <laughs> thing, but I don't want to be the chaperone. <laughs> um, I, probably there was a time or two when the person they was dating went somewhere with us as as we'd done things as a family. But 
and I know when I was in the dating process, they was there was occasions when I went places with my parents. I don't think we really thought of it so much as a chaperone, as much as we just looking at it as we was all doing something together. But I don't like Greg said uh, the situation of someone chaperoning my children. I don't. I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opposed to it, but I don't want to. Uh, right. Real quick, Jacob, let's go to this last part of the question. All right. Our questioner asks, as a parent, how should we deal with our children if they start walking disorderly, whether it be with alcohol, sex, etc.? What are effective disciplinary measures we can take with older children? What should we do if they become out of control uh, but still too young to be on their own? Chris's email says, first and foremost, pray and get other mature Christians to pray with you. Secondly, try and reason with them. Thirdly, make sure you do all you can as a parent to see that they are not left in compromising positions where it's easy to make bad decisions. I have a rule that if my daughter has her boyfriend over, they're not allowed to be by themselves behind a closed door under any circumstances. I did get pushed back at first, but after the initial phase of me being so unfair and not trusting, she calmed down and understood why I made that rule. Mm. I had to explain to her that this wasn't that I did. It wasn't that I didn't trust her, but it is a human. It is human nature to give in if you find yourself under the right set of circumstances. I told her boyfriend I made the rule because I didn't want to catch them doing something they would not. They should not, and then I would be sent to prison. <laughs> uh, as far as what to do if the teen is out of control, I honestly do not have a good answer. Uh, he says, I have some friends who have been through that. All right, Monty, your thoughts. How do you take care of a teenager who may be One comment drifting? is it's not necessarily that I don't trust my children. It's I don't trust the people they're with. So, I mean. Okay. So, but if, if I guess the question is if the child's. Getting older, I'm assuming they're, but not old enough to be their own. So I'm assuming that, as far as from a legal standpoint, would be say they're in their later teens, but maybe not 18 yet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my daughter got her last whipping at home when she was 17. Okay, and mine my, got hers when she was 16. Uh, my son got one the same at the same time when they he was 15. He's two years younger than her, and they'd done something. Well, they'd got to the point when I'd come home from work, they'd. Mama would tell me that the kids just drove me crazy today, so I sat them down and explained to them the next time that I come home and that was the case, they were going to get a whipping. And uh-huh. two or three days later, that was the case. And they started trying to make excuses, and I told them I didn't want to hear it. They already knew what the rules was going to be, and they got a whipping. Mine, you're so mean. I, okay, I'm so mean. But anyway, um, I don't really necessarily know where you would draw the line. There was someone who was an elder of the church here at the time told me they were too old for me to be whipping them. But I asked them when they were in high school, and most people graduate high school when they're 17 or 18, did they not get whippings back then in school? And he said, yes. I said, well, you're the same. that was the same age as what my children were at the time. I would tell you something, Monty. I think in this modern day, a parent who is not accused by somebody of being too strict is probably not being nearly strict enough. It, you know, if the people of this world see what you're doing and, and they don't think that it's strict then you're probably not strict enough. Okay. If I had it to do over again, hindsight being 2020 and all that, I believe I would probably be stricter than I was. Really? My my, I said that in front of my son one time, and he gave me this look like he didn't imagine how it could have possibly been stricter. physical impossibility. <laughs> but there's things that I would do differently that, that I would that I allowed them to do that at the time didn't seem like a right or wrong issue, but looking back, it was probably poor judgment on my part that I would be probably more strict than I was. Well, I think- oh, we're just out of time. But tell, real quickly to that question, what do you do when one, when a kid gets completely out of control, but they're not old enough to be out of the house? I, I don't know. We've, we've had to deal with some circumstances like that with different families. I think it's a terrible situation, and it's, uh, there's really no easy answers. But I want to tell you, that didn't start 
when they turned 18. No. That started way back when parents, even with their toddlers, weren't being disciplinarians. And all the way through that child's upbringing, they never made them do what they should do. They never taught them. They never trained them. They never disciplined them. And so certainly when they get 16, 17, 18 years old, they're just wildly rebellious. There's not any simple answers when you get to that point. The, what you got to do is you got to start way earlier so that you never get to that point. Okay, we better quit. Let's that's quit. We're out of time. You don't, you don't have time to get up on it, but that's good, 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 good comments. And uh, well, let's take Lane's comment as we close out because it is a good voice from the uh, from the younger audience tonight. He says, "We cannot be normal. We have to be Christians." I think this is the heart of the issue tonight. Yeah, because normal in this day and time isn't anything at all like what a Christian ought to be. We're called right. to be a peculiar people. And peculiar Strange. does not mean normal. No. Right. Nope. Come out, come from out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. We've got to do that. All right. Good study. I think an important study. All right. Good. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Monty, for being here and a good comment. And uh, appreciate uh, your feedback. We appreciate you for being on the other end of the line tonight as well. We look forward to you being back here this time again next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study is inspired word of the Bible and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.